Good morning, Mission Valley. My name is Pastor Steve, and I'm, I'm something here. <laughs> but today I will be blessed and honored to uh, fill this pulpit uh, for this Sunday, which is a blessing, because uh, this is also Communion Sunday. And it's also the Labor Day weekend. And I think Labor Day has kind of become an excuse to party and barbecue. <laughs> but originally it was set up back in the 19th century. It was uh, instituted by uh, President Grover Cleveland to honor the labor force and the contribution it made to the building and development of this country. So you got that one for free. That was no added charge. So if uh, those of you that might not know me, and uh, as as I said, my name is Pastor Steve, and uh, let me just formally say greeting to Mission Valley, to all those that are in here, and those that are watching uh, online. We welcome you and bless you for being here. And uh, just are excited to participate together. Is anybody else excited to participate together? Amen. I'm excited for that. I'm excited for being on the stage where I can actually move. That old one I had to like, because if I went this way, I'd run into a monitor. If I went back, I'd trip over something. If I went this way, I'd fall off the stage. So I'm glad that I got a little more freedom of moving here. For those of you who know me, know I like to move. And also, I commend the young brother there that, uh, you know, I, I, I like it when things go wrong in church service. That might sound weird, but I like it because that's real, right? That reminds us it's not about us. Those are the times when you got to say, oh, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing here. Help me, <laughs> right? I need you. And that should, be our, that should be our attitude all the time. So we're going to continue with the sermon series uh, of this year, which is discipleship, right? Um, that being a disciple isn't just mean sitting on our salvation. It means intentionally seeking out, discovering, and finding out what God's will is in our lives and how that will affects others' lives around us. Amen? The amen's got a little, got a little weaker on that one. <laughs> but that's all right. So turn with me if you have your Bibles with you or your devices or whatever it is to uh, the book of Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to be speaking of verses 1 through 11. So a little quick background. First, let me ask you a question, church. How many of you are tired? Yeah. You know, uh, I'm what you would call the old term school, uh, old school term was tent maker, which means I'm, I'm a minister of the gospel, I'm an ordained minister, but that's not my job. 
I work in a secular field also, and I work for Union Station Homeless Services as an intensive case, in intensive case management services as a care coordinator on a contract with Department of Health Services. So I've seen the worst that L.A. has faced during the pandemic. I've had colleagues die. I've seen my clients die. Uh, I mean, literally watched them expire in front of me. And that is tough. You know, that, 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 isn't, that isn't good. So when I said, are you tired? I mean, how many of you are tired of COVID? Amen? How, how many of you are tired of the street violence that seems to be increasing in our cities? Amen? How many of you are tired of the illnesses, the sickness, cancer, and all these things that are taking our loved ones? How many of you are tired of being afraid to go outside your door at night, not to take your, walk, your, your, your daily or nightly walks without walking around? Because it doesn't matter what neighborhood you live in, how safe that neighborhood is, right? Because we see on the news all the time. This was a safe neighborhood. I don't know what happened. So how many of you are tired of all that? Anybody ever feel like saying, God, I'm tired. Anybody ever feel like saying, God, stop. No, just me. (laughs) Anybody ever feel like saying, God, explain this to me. I don't get it. I don't understand. Help me understand. Anybody feel like that? Well, we're going to look at a church, uh, Philippi, that had same kind of things going on, not to our modern, but they were getting tired. They were facing a lot. So just a quick background. Philippi is, was a city in Macedonia, which is ancient, uh, which is uh, modern-day northeast Greece, and is located about nine miles inland from the northern shore of the Aegean Sea. It became a colony of the Roman Empire in 31 B.C., and Roman military veterans tended to retire there. They were granted special provision because they served in the military. And so when their time of military usefulness was over, then they were allowed to settle in that region of Macedonia. So because of the the prominence of of uh, soldiers, the retired soldiers, and the influx of uh, uh, colonists that were coming to this uh, area. The natives there were mostly Greek immigrants. And, uh, and, And probably they saw a sharp decline in their social and economic stature because of all the influx of people coming there. Because you know when the, when the veteran soldiers came, they took the choice, right? They got the, they got the best pickings of, of the land and everything. So the people that were native to there probably seen their, their livelihood decline because of this. And, uh, and the predominant power structure there was concentrated in the hands of a, a relatively small number of the elites 
which would be the veterans, would be some of the colonists that came in, right? And they had all the civic power, and they owned the properties in the surrounding countryside. And those estates and farms they owned would have been served by the underclass natives. So they were mostly, you know, uh, servants there, and they were non-Roman laborers and tradesmen and service workers. And what was different of Philippi from some of the other cities where uh, Paul had his missionary journeys, uh, such as Thessalonica, Ephesus, and others, was it doesn't seem to have a synagogue. So it doesn't... uh, it doesn't show that there was a very strong Jewish community there. There was a large Jewish community in this particular area, mostly Greeks. And an interesting fact was, this was the first European place where Paul evangelized. This is where he had his first convert, who was Lydia. If those of you read your Bible, know her as a, says the seller of purple, right? So these people, when Paul first evangelized there and witnessed there, they, they were the first converts in Europe. And also, this is the same city where there was, a, I guess you would call her a fortune teller, that had a, a spirit that helped her see the future. Not the Holy Spirit, another spirit. And she was out there saying, you know, this is, you know, Listen to these men, these are men of God, blah, blah, blah. Till Paul got tired of her and told the spirit to come out of her. So, of course, the people, you know, that were making money off her said, you know, threw Paul in jail. So the reason I'm saying all this to give you a little background, these are, this is a church that was formed by Paul, started, you know, that had seen Paul be beaten, seen, you know, had, had seen him thrown in prison, had seen the earthquake that shook the whole prison, the, the Philippian jailer that could have lost his life if Paul left, but Paul stayed and witnessed to him, and he became a believer. So this is the church that Paul was writing to. And this church had a special bond with Paul. Is that witnessing all these things. And ever since that time when he was first there, they continued to support him financially. When they heard he was in prison, they sent him, you know, they sent him gifts, they sent him, and you, you'll see that in other, in other uh, uh, passages, and in Acts 16, it talks about that a lot. So starting at verse 1, it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. So this is how Paul usually starts his epistles, his letters, with a greeting. Apparently Timothy was there with him, and, and Timothy was half Jewish, half Greek, so I think that's why he included him in the letter. There's also some familiarity of, of Timothy being half Greek. But what I wanted to bring to your attention here is he greeted the church first collectively, and then included the leaders. And I thought that was kind of interesting when I read it. Because, you know, the normal kind of way that Western do things, they acknowledge the leadership first, right? 
you always love who's in charge, who's right. But he said, to all God's holy people, all God's sanctified people, all the saints is another translation there. So basically he's saying to those that are sanctified, set apart, those that have chosen to be involved in the ministry for the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? And then he includes overseers and deacons, which overseer is also translated bishop or pastor. You know, it comes from a Greek word, and it's episkopos. Thank you. And it just means one who is appointed as a leader of the church to look after the physical and spiritual welfare of God's people. And then when he mentions deacons, which can also be translated minister, that that word, the Greek word for that is diakonos, which means basically helpers, anyone who carries out ministry work. And if you remember in the book of Acts, it talks about when the apostles created the office of deacons, right? Of the helpers. Because they were saying, it's not right, you know, we need to be studying the word and, and taking care of the spiritual and physical well-being of our congregants. But we can't be waiting tables and doing all the other stuff too. So that's what the deacons were, were uh, appointed at. So I'm just saying that to kind of set, set, set the tone here. He didn't exclude them, he included them, but first he said all God's holy people. So, and this is a very personal letter. He's really, he's saying, I, I, I thank you. You know, I, I, I always have thanks for you. In uh, verse four, he goes on to say, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So these are people that were partnering with him. And one of the things I was thinking about in, in, uh, in this particular passage, and the main theme, to me the main theme, and I believe you know, this is the main theme of this particular epistle, is suffering and unity. Because it talks a lot about suffering. That's why I gave you a little of the background. These weren't people that were uh, financially well off for the most part. You know, they struggled. They were under Roman rule, and they had a lot of, you know, a lot of obstacles and challenges. And then to be believers <laughs> and to be claiming that, that gave them even more challenges. So there were problems going on. And then they were worried about Paul. Because at the time he was writing this epistle, he's imprisoned and probably was his first Roman imprisonment. So they were worried because he could be put to death for the things that he was being imprisoned for. So there was a lot of concern, a lot of worry, a lot of anxiety, a lot of stuff going on. And Paul wanted to write to him about to assure them. And the first thing he does, he, he, he gives them this sense of, I'm, I'm always praying for you, you know, because... We're together in this. And I was thinking about that, you know, what, what, what I believe God has been showing me and what I've been kind of growing into and, and uh, trying to solidify in my life 
is what's really important. What, what, what do I really need to focus on? And there's a lot of things we need to focus on, right? Especially in, in this modern life. We got so many multitasking things that focus family and job. And, but I start thinking, what is it that I really need to be focused? What, what comes first? And then I figure all the, within the scope of that. And for me, I didn't put this on a slide. This is just my own personal. It's identity and purpose. I need to know who I am. What is my identity? And what is my purpose? Right? Because before I, I became Pastor Steve, up here, you know, preaching to you and speaking to you and, and being part of your uh, uh, small groups and all that, I was somebody else. I had a different identity. And it wasn't a godly identity, but it was the identity that I believed was me. Because that's all the input I had to define myself by my environment, by what people told me I was. And, and I tried to, you know, I tried to uh, dilute that a lot. A lot of times I'll say I used to be an entrepreneur and be involved in, you know, in uh, transportation and sales of certain substances <laughs> and involved in organizations that, uh, you know, didn't always obey the law, you know, and we're a little prone to violence and other things. But the reality was I was a gangster. <laughs> I mean, plain and simple. I lived that life. I chose that life. And that was my identity. As far as I was concerned, as far as I knew from the information I had. But it wasn't my true identity. It was the identity I settled for. And it was created through different kind of input. But what Paul is saying here, this is, this is who you are. You're, you're partners with me. So what I'm doing and who I am is who you are also. So no, you could have your own individual identity as far as being a father, mother, teacher, candlestick maker, whatever you are, you know. But at the same time, you have your true core identity, which is when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, right? And that's the one that we have to concentrate on because that's the one that gets lost real quickly because of all the input the world brings us and things come and over media and all these sources of identifying us. Amen? You still with me? All right. I don't see too many smiles out there. That's what I said. <laughs> but uh, the thing about that is There is no other way. And it's a good way, right? You know, when I started out, I used to identify myself as, I forget what I identified myself, a member of Victory Outreach, I think I said it first, uh, a disciple, I would say, evangelical, Pentecostal, whatever, we all. But those, those aren't, I think I refine, and none of those are false identities. I mean, they all 
are scripturally sound. But I think what I finally settled on when people ask me, you know, are you a Christian? And I don't just say, yes, I'm a Christian anymore because that has become so convoluted in people's minds of what that means. And Christian has almost become a generic description for a lot of things that wasn't described, you know, who we are. So, and I'm not saying everybody go walk around describe yourself the way I do, but this is just how I've learned to describe myself. I call myself a spirit-filled disciple of Jesus Christ. Amen? Sound good? And not only that, but I'm a born-again, spirit-filled disciple of Jesus Christ. Amen? Because as long as I keep that identity in front of me, as long as I keep that in my mind, then everything else, it it makes me look through a different lens. And remember, we see darkly as it is. Our lens isn't completely clear. So I need that identity to keep wiping, you know, that's my windshield wipers, for lack of better analogy, right? That keeps it clear that this is who I am, so I see the world through that lens. When I look at the violence, when I look at the discouraging things, when I, when I hear about my colleague uh, succumbing to COVID, when I hear about my colleagues succumbing to cancer, when I hear about my colleague that was murdered in the Pasadena Park by one of, uh, one of uh, uh, our clients, you know, this is what helps me keep, this is who I am. And because who I am, this is the truth I live under. And just a side note, you can't know that truth unless you're reading the Bible. <laughs> that lens doesn't work unless you're putting the Word of God into you, unless you're feeding yourself, unless you're educating yourself through the Word of God by personal readings, by coming here and hearing the messages, by being involved in Bible studies, by practicing it, by speaking it out with people, by sharing it. Because don't you know when we share, we learn? It becomes more real to us. That's why I love preaching. I think that's why God gives me opportunities to preach because he knows he'll lose me. (laughs) <laughs> if I'm not sharing the word of God because my lens will get, you know, get too foggy. I'll forget what my real identity is. I'll forget what my purpose is. I'll forget what I'm supposed to be doing unless I'm speaking about it. Unless I'm, and it holds me accountable too because you all hear me. So if you see me on a Saturday night out somewhere doing something I shouldn't do, you tell uh, Pastor Steve, that's not what you said Sunday. So it keeps me aware I can't be doing those things because I'm speaking otherwise. I can't say my identity is one thing and live my identity another way. So by speaking my identity, it motivates me to live my identity. Amen? And just in case you didn't know, I don't do it perfectly. (laughs) Pray for me. Verse 6. And verses 6 and 7 say, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you 
will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And he says, it is right for me to feel this way about you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. Amen. I like that all of you share in God's grace with me. So what that's saying is all God's people, we all share responsibility and we all share in the benefits of the gospel. It's not just for the deacons. It's not just for the pastors. It's not just for the preachers. It's for all God's people. We all have a responsibility. Now, we don't have the same way of carrying that responsibility out. Not all are called to be pastors. Not all are called to be, you know. But we are all called. (laughs) And we all have responsibilities within the body of Christ. But the good news about that is, along with the responsibilities, are the benefits. I think you fell asleep on me, church. Are the benefits, right? The blessings. Sometimes people come to me, and in case you didn't know, I I counsel also. I'm a counselor, and this isn't the only church that comes to me for counsel. And members of other churches that I've either preached at or been part of in some way or another still come to me for counsel, and we talk about things. And I'm uh, actually starting a Bible study outside for people that aren't going to church. They're believers, but they ain't going to church. So I'm starting that up, see how that goes. You could pray for me on that too, because I don't know what I'm doing. But that's, that's the benefit. That's the good thing about this, right? You don't have to know what you're doing. God knows what he's doing. The Holy Spirit knows what needs to be done. All we got to do is trust and believe and seek. It doesn't come by osmosis. Can't say, okay, well, I don't know what I'm doing, God. I didn't do it. Come on. No, no. We have to be saying, God, show me how. I want to. I need to. And if you don't want to need to, you need prayer. <laughs> I'm just going to put it straight up. You need prayer, brothers and sisters. We all need prayer. Amen. Because there are days I don't want to. And I don't want to need to. <laughs> but I know I have to. And when I do, the benefit comes. I feel encouraged. I feel strengthened. I feel blessed. I feel closer to my Lord. I feel like there's a purpose. You know, Psychology 101, I also was a major in psychology, if you didn't know, a major in human behavioral science. So I have an unaccredited BA in that. And one of the things that Psychology 101 is what human beings need and you could say a lot of different things, but it all boils down to two things, significance and security. Yeah? As human beings, we need to feel significant. We need to feel like we matter. Our lives matter. The fact that we exist, the fact that we walk this earth, the fact that we interact with other people means something to somebody. It serves a purpose. And security 
We need to know everything's going to be all right. (laughs) We need to feel safe. We need to feel taken care of. We need to feel protected. And this world doesn't offer too much of that. You know, there was, you know, dependence in law enforcement. That hasn't gone too well, you know, as time has gone on. There's been, you know, everything that you can put your faith in in the world has failed in some way. That's why there's medical malpractice suits and all these things that go on. So what I'm saying is the only thing that you could put in the bank and depend on is your relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Amen. That's the only thing that we can be sure of. But the problem with that is this world, and I don't know if what I'm saying now is even going to corroborate with the, uh, and I apologize. I know it's tough when I preach because I go all over the place sometimes. But I got to be obedient to what God gives me at the moment and what the Holy Spirit tells me. So the only thing that we can really bank on and, and, and depend on is that relationship because the world will fail us. But the problem with that is we get so much input from the world, it's easy to get distracted. It's easy to get false identities. It's easy to get crossing signals, right? Because the world is, world is telling us so much other things. So we have to be on guard on that. And we need one another. That's why the Bible says iron sharpens iron. We need each other to keep reminding each other. Those of you who think you could just go it alone, I'm sorry to tell you. <laughs> Bible doesn't support that in any way, shape, or form that you can go it alone. We need one another. We need the correction from one another. We need the encouragement from one another. We need the spiritual from one another once in a while, right? Because that's love. That's what real love is. And I see the young people that in my mind and heart I identify with, though I know they're saying, you old, dude, <laughs> you ain't one of us. But I see them and I, and, and I have so much love for the young people because the, the enthusiasm they have and when they come up for worship or when they're out there, you know, they're just trying, 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 and they want to encourage the church. Come on, feel what I'm feeling here. Get, get excited like I am. And that is so blessed. Because us, us old fogies were like, mm, yeah, well, that's not the way I do it. And I'm not saying to, you know, I know culturally everything, everybody got their own thing. I'm different. I was raised different. But... All I'm saying is, don't always make up your mind about how you want it to be, how you think it should be. Because I get in trouble every time I think, this is how I think it should be. I mean, this is the way I was raised. This is my beliefs. That works to a certain point. But not when it comes to worship, not when it comes to service, not when it comes to ministering. Amen? It doesn't work. Verse 9, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Verse 10, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless, blameless. 
for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And that word that you may be pure, it just may... It just basically means having no foreign elements in it, not mixed with anything else. So we're saying not mixed with the world, right? And I could almost hear in my spirit all the, yeah, but, (laughs) yeah, but, yeah, but, Unfortunately, yeah, but isn't found in the Bible. (laughs) It's mostly verily, truly, I tell you. (laughs) In other words, this is how it is. But the good news is Jesus said, those that aren't against me are, are for me. So God gives a lot of latitude in how we do it, which is great because a lot of us like myself would be in trouble if he didn't give that latitude as long as we keep the purpose in mind of why we're doing it. And know there's only one why. How gives a little bit of latitude, but the why and for whom is non-negotiable. Amen? And with that for whom, again, gives us our identity which creates our significance and security, right? What I believe personally is the reason that, that that's been discovered, you know, in psychology is because that's a place that was reserved in human beings for God to inhabit. The significance and security was meant to come from God because only he can give it to us. So don't settle, amen? We tend to settle. I mean, this world is all about, you know, compromise and settling. Last point. God alone completes the work. And this work involves progressive transformation on our part. Did you hear that? God alone completes the work. Because a lot of times we say, well, I can't because. I mean, I got to work. I got to do this. I can't. I can't do this. I can't make the time. I can't, you know, I can't go on my way for that. I got too many responses. And the reality is, no, you can't. That's the whole point. (laughs) We can't. We weren't designed to. We were designed to surrender and trust God to show us how to do it, to open the doors, to make the opportunities. We can't create those. We try to, and then we wonder why things don't work out right. (laughs) Because we try to make an opportunity, because we try without consulting God, without being in the Word, without being in prayer, without seeking God first, And then it falls apart and we wonder why. And I could go on and on. Just in that, that's a whole sermon, but I'm I'm going to give you out on that one. 
I ain't going to take that any further because that gets deep. Then we get into what it really means to be a disciple of Christ. Then we get into the meat, brothers and sisters. Then we put the rubber to the road and we talk about what does this mean? That's what you should be doing in your small groups, by the way. <laughs> you know, that, that's, that's where you sharpen each other with the word of God and through experience and the elders teach the youngers and youngers and enthusiasm. I'm, I'm putting that in myself. Youngers give enthusiasm. You share your enthusiasm with us holders so we can be partakers of it with you and on and on. Amen. So turn with me real quick to uh, an example of the progressive transformation on our part. Uh, Romans, the 12th chapter, uh, Romans verses 1 through 2. And many of you, this will be very familiar to you, this, this particular verse. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. First of all, that's what we should be striving for, to find his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Amen? Like Paul said, you know, that you may be able to, back in verse 10 of Philippians, he said that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. If you didn't get anything else from this message, uh, church, get this. We need to discern what is best because the world is going to try to tell us what's best. And the world is going to try to influence us to compromise, to settle for less than best. Amen? And the world uses a little bit of truth sometimes, especially on Christians. Yeah, you know, a little bit of, you know, scriptural or philosophy that sounds like scripture and makes sense. That's why it says in uh, Proverbs, uh, three five, to trust in the Lord, right with all your heart, to acknowledge Him in all your ways, and lean not unto your own understanding. And that's what we tend to do. We lean on our own understanding because the world is trying to give us that understanding to lean on, and we settle. We settle for less that's best. We settle for what is not important. And then we get a, we get a, a we get a bootleg <laughs> spiritual reward, right? It's not from the Holy Spirit. It's a bootleg. We settle for less than true love, than God's love, a facsimile of love that is more sensual and relational and, and uh, carnal 
that doesn't satisfy, that betrays sometimes, that, you know, I'm not saying the love isn't good, and if you're married and you have a partner, that's great, but I'm just saying a lot of times, before we get there, we settle along the way in things that aren't from God, right? We settle for less than true joy. We settle for happy if things are going all right with us, right? We settle for false peace. I feel at peace as long as nobody's bugging me. <laughs> as long as nobody's on my case. As <laughs> long as nobody's arguing with me. As long as my job ain't, you know, messing with me too much. That's what we settle for as far as peace. Right? And on and on, gentleness, kindness, right? Patience, goodness, self-control, all these things, faithfulness. We settle for the bootleg copies of it too many times where God has the pure, unmixed, the real deal. And if you've ever had something that's pure and unmixed and the real deal, and then you've something that's fake, it ain't the same. Right? Those of you that like designer stuff, if you, if you ever have the nice quality, you know, handmade designer clothes or anything, the other ones just don't feel the same anymore. But I'm not rich, so I, <laughs> I settle. Man, it's, that's all right, because I'm just selling for worldly things. But not compromising when it comes to the Word of God. So like I said, if you don't get anything else from this message, brothers and sisters, get that. Because that's what, that's what Jesus would want us to get. And that's what Paul was telling his church at Philippi. It's tough. It's tough going right now. I get it. I know. I ain't doing too good myself right now. <laughs> so that's why we need to encourage each other. And I'm encouraged by you because you never let me down. You always, you always stand by me. You always, and I want you to know that I'm always praying for you because we're in this together. We're going to make it. In the case you didn't know, church, we're going to make it. <laughs> Amen? We're going to make it through COVID. We're going to make it through all that. Not because we're going to do it, because we can't do it, because we have a God that's going to make us through it. Now, I can't say how that's going to look for each individual story, but we are going to make it. And that's what it's all about. Believing that. Like the first song, the worship team, I believe, right? Do we believe? Do we really believe? Or do we just believe what we're singing? <laughs> do we just believe while the words are on the wall? Because that's where we really find ourselves, and find our identity. That's why I said at the beginning, I like it when things go wrong, right? Especially when I'm not the one that's going wrong for it, because <laughs> I know it's good for you. <laughs> but even when it's going wrong for me, I don't really particularly like it in, in the midst of it, but I appreciate it at the tail end of it because it made me stronger, you know? I remember when I first started in, in ministry, 
the pastor at the time would walk in on Sundays and tell me, you got something? You ready to preach this Sunday? And that Sunday morning right there, he said, in season and out, brother, come on. Always ready to give account for the faith that's in you. Come on. And I'd have to, oh, God, God, help me, help me, help me. Find something. But that made me stronger and more uh, diligent to studying the word so I would be ready. <laughs> and you know what's, what's, what's amazing? How oh, that? I'm going to end here. But just, just something uh, I feel to share with you right now. What's, what's amazing on that, that from that time on, no matter what's going on in, in my life and things, I see things as sermons. It's kind of weird, I know, but, you know, I never claim to be totally sane. But everything that experiences, I think, wow, what a message. That, that'll preach. <laughs> That's a good message. And not that I always have opportunity to, to, to preach those sermons, but they come to me in sermon form. I say, oh, I could talk about that. And this relates to that, and there's a scripture for that. And, and sometimes I use them in, you know, the small groups when we're talking. Uh, that's why sometimes I have to pull myself back because I realize I just jumped on the pulpit in the small group meeting. <laughs> and I have to apologize. Sorry, let me, let me get, come back off the pulpit. You know, this ain't a sermon. But, uh, but that's just the way I'm put together. So what I'm saying to you, find out how you're put together. Find out how God wants you to, 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 to uh, respond and to act. Amen? And use Paul's example to the Philippians. Later on in the book of Philippians, you're going you're gonna to see in uh, chapter 3, where Paul talks about about uh, about the power of the resurrection, right, and about participating in the sufferings of Christ, and about pressing forward. You know, this book is deep as you keep going along. You know, towards the the high calling. You know, these are just the things we should be retraining our mind, transforming our minds too. Because otherwise, your mind's going to go like Eve did, a little bit of truth, and playing on what she really wanted, and boom, look at the mess. Because Eve leaned on the serpent. She didn't trust God with all her heart. She leaned on her understanding that the serpent was right. And Adam leaned on Eve. So don't lean on anybody but Christ and those that are seeking Christ with you, those that are seeking knowledge and seeking to become pure and blameless. Amen? I didn't say perfect. We ain't never going to get there. (laughs) We're going to fall and stumble over ourselves all the time. But that's why we got each other too to point that out and help each other get through it. So there truly be no feeling of condemnation because there is none. There's no punishment. Amen.